Hello and welcome to the reading of the business record for Friday, January 21st, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. This week's cover story, lawmakers say workforce will be at the top of their 2022 agenda by Michael Crum. Lawmakers returned to Des Moines January 10th to begin the 2022 legislative session. And with so much of the past year focused on the state's labor shortage, they say they expect that to carry over into the work they do this year at the Capitol. Topics such as tax cuts and changes to the state's unemployment system to ease the transition back into the workforce could be on the table. Lawmakers also say they are likely to revisit issues such as child care, broadband expansion, and housing all areas that were partially addressed in 2021. The business record spoke with legislators from both parties before the session started to learn what their priorities were and what issues they will be closely watching in 2022. Here is some of what they had to say. Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitver, Republican from Ankeny. Whitver said the workforce shortage has been exacerbated over the past year and the legislature needs to find solutions to turn that around. When I first got elected to the legislature in 2011, there was a conversation about needing workers, but it was kind of limited to specific industries, he said. Now it's basically every industry across the state that is struggling with workforce. One of the top priorities to bring more people to Iowa is the continued reduction in the state's individual income tax rate. The individual income tax rate has decreased from nearly 9% five years ago to about 6.5%. We want to continue to move that down and lower that tax rate because high taxes create a disincentive to work, Whitver said. Continuing to reduce the individual income tax will be our number one priority this year, he said. While some members of his party have suggested eliminating the individual income tax completely, Whitver questioned whether that is feasible this year. Zero should be the goal, he said, but whether you can get that done in one year or not is to be determined. Whitver said the legislature will focus on the individual tax rate rather than the corporate tax rate. While he said the corporate tax rate is too high in Iowa, tax credits have been put in place that reduce the effect of that rate. He said a, quote, robust conversation, end quote, needs to be had with the business community, the governor, and the House to determine what direction they want to go on the issue. So if the business community is up for that conversation, if the governor and the House are up for the conversation, we're here for it. But we're going to put our focus and our time on the individual income tax rate, Whitver said. Iowa's corporate tax rate of 9.8% ranked it 46th in the country, according to the Iowa Business Council's competitive dashboard released in February 2021. A recent report from the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation showed that Iowa's income tax rate ranked the state 38th in the country, which some business leaders say makes it unable to compete with other states with lower rates. Whitver said the income tax can be reduced without affecting the state's budget, 
with revenue being drawn from the state's $1 billion budget surplus and the $1.2 billion taxpayer trust fund to make up the difference. So initially, we can just cut taxes without a lot of revenue enhancements to begin with. But as you get closer to zero, you'll have to make some tough decisions, Whitver said. The legislature will likely also take a look at licensing requirements for certain professions to make it easier for people to get into the workforce. If there are barriers to work, we want to make sure we're trying to reduce those barriers, said Whitver, the majority leader of the Senate, where Republicans control the chamber with a 31 to 19 margin over Democrats. He said the legislature will need to continue its work to move people from the welfare system to the workforce. Part of that will be building out programs through the Future Ready Iowa program, Whitver said. He said he expects more work will be done on improving the state's child care system. Last year, the legislature approved bills that worked to eliminate the child care cliff effect, by increasing the income eligibility requirements for child care assistance and created a graduated phase-out for benefits as a family's income rises. Lawmakers also increased the reimbursement rate for child care providers and increased the number of children allowed in unlicensed home daycare sites. We know child care is one of those barriers to the workforce, so anything we can do to make child care more affordable and more accessible, we're going to be interested in that, Whitver said. Whitver also expects continued focus on broadband with further investment to expand high-speed internet statewide. He said he also expects bills revolving around LGBTQ rights and tenure at the state's universities to be brought up again this year, but acknowledged their future is uncertain. It's hard to predict right now, he said. It's too early to say where members go and where their passions lie. I just can't make predictions on where some of those will go, so it's hard for me to say what bills might gain traction this session. House Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst, Democrat from Windsor Heights. Confirst said she hears from companies that are struggling to hire workers, and she hopes the legislature can do more to boost paychecks, strengthen unions, and lower costs for families. When it comes to the workforce, we need to address this in a broad and meaningful way, she said. Workforce challenges don't just come out of the blue, and they don't just get fixed with one program. Iowa's workforce needs exist because we have not been investing in the things that make Iowa an attractive place to live, and we need to do more of that, she said. She said more investment in child care is needed. We've addressed the cliff effect to some extent, but we haven't done enough to address wages for child care workers, she said. We've not done enough to address access in rural areas, and we've not done enough to incentivize organizations to create more childcare. We've made it better. We haven't fixed it. We still need to do more, she said. Confirst, the minority leader in the House, where Republicans control the chamber by a 60 to 40 edge over Democrats, also said the state needs to invest more in public schools. People choose to move to Iowa because of our public schools, she said. 
what we need to be doing with our public schools is paying attention to what our kids need, making sure our public schools are funded in a way that allows all kids to learn the best they can. We need to make sure we're funding our public schools in a way that helps Iowa's workforce grow, she said. She said she believes bills that harm the state's reputation will be introduced again this year. Just introducing these bills has a chilling effect. And as I talk to business leaders across the state, I tell them it's the responsibility of all of us to call out things that are making it harder to get people to come to Iowa to work, live, and grow, Confirst said. On taxes, Confirst said the legislature needs to rewrite tax rules to make sure more is done to help working families so they are able to pay their bills. Senate Minority Leader Zach Walls, Democrat from Coralville. Walls said that when he talked to chamber leaders before the pandemic, workforce was their top concern. And obviously that has been an issue that has been exacerbated in the last year or two, he said. So I think our number one priority is going to be a focus on expanding the path to good jobs. Walls said he thinks that can be done with greater investment in programs that lead to better career and technical education and apprenticeships that can lead to good jobs in Iowa. But I think workforce challenges are part of a broader question of how do we attract and retain more talent into the state of Iowa, he said. It's something we've been saying for years. We need more Iowans, younger Iowans, and better paid Iowans. Walls said more focus needs to be placed on child care. There's this huge gap between what the cost of child care is and what parents can afford to pay, he said. So I think we should be talking about increasing eligibility for child care assistance so more working parents and middle-class families can actually have child care they can afford and depend on. Then we need to increase what providers are paid so they can take care of kids who are on the child care assistance program, he said. He said what was done in 2021 was, quote, a step in the right direction. But I think it clearly did not solve the problem, Walls said. It was not commensurate with the challenge of what we're dealing with. Walls also said the legislature should look at various forgivable student loan programs that could help attract workers in high-demand occupations, such as medicine, teaching, and law enforcement. He also said that continued expansion of broadband in Iowa is important to attracting companies and people to Iowa, and that continued emphasis is needed on affordable housing. We've taken some steps in a positive direction there, and I would like to see us continue to move in those right directions, Walls said. In 2021, the legislature increased the Workforce Housing Tax Credit to provide incentives to developers to build homes and increase the housing stock for working professionals. Lawmakers also increased investment in the Housing Trust Fund for affordable housing opportunities across the state. Representative Brian Lose, Republican from Bondurant. Lose said, while workforce will be a major priority for, legis- for lawmakers in 2022, dealing with the budget surpluses and excess revenue the state is taking in is also at the top of the agenda. 
He said a key focus for him will be moving people off of unemployment and into the workforce. He is considering introducing a bill that would create a, quote, off-ramp, where someone taking a job that pays less than they receive in unemployment benefits would receive the difference in unemployment for the duration of the benefit that was being paid. Another priority is attracting people to come to Iowa and take jobs here, Lose said. He said one way to do that would be lowering or eliminating the individual tax rate. Another possible solution is to give a state income tax abatement to people who move to Iowa to take a job, said Lose, who introduced bills proposing the credit each of the past two years. Whether or not we eliminate the income tax entirely or give workers a tax abatement like we often do businesses, we have to find creative ways to bring people to Iowa, he said. Lowe said he doesn't believe there will be an appetite to eliminate the individual income tax all at once. We need to ramp it down so that we can ensure we're replacing that revenue appropriately, he said. Lowe said that there will likely be some discussion on lowering the state's corporate tax rate, but that the primary focus will be on lowering the income tax rate. We can attract all the business we want, but we need more people here in order to give them people to hire, he said. Lowe said he believes there will be greater momentum this session to approve incentives for people to move to Iowa because of the ongoing labor shortage. I'm hoping it gets more attention this year because we desperately need to attract more people to the state, he said. Lowe said he's open to more discussion about expanding investment into broadband as another workforce development tool. He's also willing to listen to discussions on further action on child care, but isn't convinced more action is needed this session. We did so many different things on child care last year that we probably need to let those marinate a little bit to see what impact they have and see what we need to do in 2023 to see if it's had the desired effect. And if not, then we need to make additional efforts there, he said. This week's Fearless column, what are issues that women will face in 2022 and how can we address them? Five takeaways from a recent Fearless panel discussion by Emily Kestel, Fearless Editor. The ongoing pandemic and economic challenges have had an effect on everyone, but especially women. Experts have indicated that burnout and other mental health challenges will be issues that women will deal with this year as they navigate through work and life. Last year, business record editor Emily Barsky and I hosted a virtual discussion with four female leaders across the state. We asked for their insight into the top issues that women will face in the next year and what we can focus on to collectively support women. We talked with Renee Christopher, President and CEO of Viridian Credit Union, Beth Livingston, Faculty Director of the DOOR Emerging Women Leaders Program, and Assistant Professor at the Tippy College of Business at the University of Iowa, Dawn Oliver Wyand, President and CEO of the Iowa Women's Foundation, and Toya Younger, Senior Vice President for Student Affairs at Iowa State University. Here are five ways individuals and organizations can support women's advancement and achievement in 2022. 
Number one, to reduce burnout and slow the rate of women leaving the workforce, create flexible work policies and allow autonomy over the way work gets done. The 2021 Women in the Workplace report from Lean In and McKinsey found that women are more burned out than they were a year ago, and that the gap in burnout between women and men has nearly doubled. Livingston argued that giving women control over how and where their work gets done is, quote, the biggest weapon we can wield against the epidemic of burnout we're seeing, end quote. Burnout isn't just stress. We're all stressed. Burnout, for me, is really a bone exhaustion when you're doing the same things and nothing is changing and you have no control over it, she said. Even pre-COVID, women were desiring more control and autonomy over the way they work and run their family, Livingston said. Give women a choice and trust that they know what's best for them, she said. Younger said that in order for companies to be competitive, they must offer flexibility, a sentiment many others have shared, and the incoming workforce is expecting. Number two, consider the real reasons why gender parity in leadership positions hasn't been achieved yet. Fearless reported in 2020 that women hold 30% of executive-level leadership positions in Iowa. That rate has risen only slightly in the last 10 years. Reasons for that disparity vary, but Livingston urged a re-examination of the actual causes behind the numbers. Is it due to individual choice or barriers, like not wanting to lead or not being assertive enough? Or is it because of institutional or systemic barriers, like discrimination or the way the workplace operates? Organizations must look for these misalignments if they want to change, Livingston said. Christopher added that it's important that women can see a path to success at your organization. It starts with an inclusive environment, making them feel wanted at the table, she said. What benefits are we providing to make your life easier? Number three. Place a priority on mental health and work to destigmatize it. About one in five adults experienced mental illness in 2020, yet only 46% of them received treatment. The pandemic has only increased symptoms of anxiety and depression. Women are uniquely affected, Younger said. We don't have an opportunity to break down and lose it sometimes because we're the ones that are trying to hold everything together, she said. All panelists agreed that in order to properly address mental health concerns of those you love and work with, it's important to destigmatize it and make it okay for people to come to you for help. Mental health and well-being are intertwined with productivity and performance, Livingston said. The companies and individuals that recognize that have the opportunity to create change. Number four, take advantage of opportunities to be a mentor and co-conspirator. The Iowa Women's Foundation in 2016 identified a lack of mentorship as a key barrier to women's success and economic self-sufficiency. Women don't just automatically mentor. We don't see ourselves as mentors, Oliver Wyand said. 
It is important that we take advantage of opportunities to mentor. Don't wait to be asked. Just as important, though, are people who work alongside you every day who are in your corner and who support and uplift you. Younger briefly shared her experience with being in a position where she's often a first and an only. She's the first black woman to serve in her role at Iowa State and is the highest ranking person of color on campus. That means, she said, she often has to stop and think about if she speaks up, are people going to think she's the angry black woman at the table? Good allies and co-conspirators make space for you to be your full, authentic self, Younger said. And number five, address the child care crisis. There are multiple facets to the child care crisis in the state. About a quarter of Iowa's population lives in a child care desert. An Iowa family earning a median household income spends an average of 12% of their income on center-based child care, higher than the national 7% affordability benchmark. Furthermore, child care workers are quitting in droves and providers are closing their doors, which means parents have to find care for their children elsewhere, if they can find any at all. If we don't address the child care crisis that we're dealing with in our state, more women are going to be leaving the workforce in greater numbers than they already are, Oliver Wyand said. This week's Closer Look column, Meet a Leader You Should Know. Dave Ernst, Executive Director of Strategic Partnerships, the Tippy College of Business. By Joe Gardiaz. Dave Ernst's heavy business travel schedule throughout his career enabled him to earn significant airline mileage perks for frequently flying out of Cedar Rapids, often logging more than 100 flight segments a year. But when the pandemic grounded business travel, he reevaluated his priorities and set his sights back on his Iowa roots. In August, the Tippy College of Business at the University of Iowa announced it had selected Ernst as the Executive Director of Strategic Partnerships to lead the new Office of Strategic Partnerships. The office was created to develop, expand, and strengthen connections between Iowa businesses and nonprofits, nonprofits and the business college's resources. Amy Christoph Brown, who was named Dean of the Tippy College just over a year ago after filling the role on an interim basis since March 2020, this fall told the business record that her number one priority will be increasing strategic partnerships with Iowa businesses. We have a lot of talented students and talented faculty, and we've spent the last several year, years building that capacity through innovative curricula, through hiring really outstanding thought leaders in different areas, Christoph Brown said in a September interview. And what we're hoping to do now is really expand our outreach to the state, to the region, to let organizations know what we have to offer and ways that we can be helpful to businesses, whether those are small, medium, large corporations, whether it's nonprofits, community organizations, state agencies, whatever it might be she said. Ernst has a broad array of experiences to draw from in the new role. 
He most recently was Senior Vice President of State Services and Business Development for Cognia, a Georgia-based developer of assessment tests. He also has worked for 12 years in numerous capacities for educational publisher Pearson in Iowa City, including Regional Vice President and Director of the company's Research and Innovation Network. He began his career with Rockwell Collins in Cedar Rapids, a Q&A with Ernst. What about this new position specifically appealed to you? In my career, I've done a lot of different things, and I've had an opportunity to be part of three startup ventures, one at Collins and two at Pearson. So that entrepreneur side of me found this opportunity really, really exciting. It combined sort of the startup feel of a new role but also having held senior leadership positions in strategic partnerships, I have that passion to grow the enterprise and to create these successful partnerships. I see this as a really great opportunity to bring that all together in a capstone sort of way in my career. Reconnecting with the university after earning degrees at two different times there, what are your overall impressions about how the university has changed? I think at the College of Business, we have a real entrepreneurial mindset, and we're doing many amazing new things. Our dean is fairly new in her role, and she has some ideas about what she would like to accomplish on behalf of the College of Business. So there's a real sense of partnership and innovation in the things that we want to do. I think we want to enable the business community to access our talents in ways that maybe we haven't been able to do in the past to really make our research talent and our expert faculty available to the business community. I think the challenge is that we have many relationships between faculty and staff and the corporate world, so we don't want to interrupt those relationships, but deepen and foster them. What advice or wisdom have you picked up that has really stuck with you during your career? I think I've been fortunate to have great mentors in my career. And one mentor said this about leadership. Learn something new every day. Make a difference and have some fun. And so I try to follow that advice. Learning something new every day is exciting and invigorating. Making a difference in what you do, you're adding to your customer's success, your company's success, and having fun. As professionals, we spend a lot of time with each other, so we've got to have some fun. Another one I've taken from another CEO that I worked for, and I always use it when we're starting ventures. It's difficult to make complicated things simple, but it's usually well worth it. Sometimes we try to boil the ocean. We make it too big. So one of the things that I work on is how do we make complicated things simple? And I guess the last thing about me and who I am is, I think people are the secret sauce in life. And so I tried to speak in ways that others like to listen to what I have to say. And I like to listen in such a way that others love to speak to me. So I want to create that sort of dialogue, that trust that I think goes in any relationship. What hobbies do you enjoy? Well, my most recent hobby is becoming an expert chainsaw person. 
cleaning up after the 2020 derecho, we had quite a cleanup effort in our community. It probably took a good six months to clean up after the derecho, and even in the spring we were finalizing that. But I very much love the outdoors, so you'll find me in the summertime up at Lake Okaboji. My wife's family had been going up there for years, so we've made that our summer place for our family to come back and be together. I also boat and ski when I'm up there, and in the winter I go to Colorado to go skiing every year. In the spring, I like to go to Canada and go fishing with my dad and my brothers. Dave Ernst, at a glance, hometown, Rockford, Illinois. Education, bachelor's degree in engineering and MBA, University of Iowa. Age, 58. Family. He and his wife, Melissa, have three children the youngest of whom is a third-year pharmacy student at the University of Iowa. Contact, cell phone 319-431-0548 and email david-ernst at uiowa.edu. You're listening to the reading of the business record for Friday, January 21st, 2022 on IRIS the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. This week's feature story is from the Real Estate and Development section. Timing was right to sell, Glen Oaks' former owner says. By Kathy A. Bolton. In February 2021, when record-breaking low temperatures caused water pipes to rupture and create substantial flood damage at Gallardia Country Club in Oklahoma City, the club's owners, concert golf partners, didn't hesitate to begin making repairs. They just started writing checks. Mark Ullman, a former owner of Glen Oaks Country Club and Golf Course in West Des Moines, said about concert golf partners. The quick response to his disaster was among the things that helped Omen and his Glen Oaks partners decide to sell the West Des Moines property to Concert Golf Partners, headquartered in Lake Mary, Florida. They immediately started fixing the Gallardia Clubhouse, said Omen, who with other partners visited the Oklahoma City Club last fall, where they saw that nearly all of the repair work was completed. How Concert Golf responded to that disaster gave us a good feeling, he said. They have the resources, the expertise, and they can make things happen. In December, the Glen Oaks Partnership Group sold the golf course property and two-story clubhouse to Concert Golf Partners for $12.5 million. The transaction closes a chapter on the nearly 30-year-old West Des Moines Golf and Country Club whose previous owners acquired it out of bankruptcy and invested in numerous improvements that turned a struggling club into one that is thriving. We're interested in the leading clubs in a major metro area, and Glen Oaks certainly fits that description, said Peter Nanula, CEO of Concert Golf Partners, which was founded in the 1990s. Glen Oaks is a top-notch golf course, wonderful clubhouse, and has great country club amenities. It's a gem, he said. Glen Oaks, located west of Interstate 
35 between Grand Avenue and Mills Civic Parkway in West Des Moines was developed as a gated residential community and championship golf course in the early 1990s on more than 500 acres of farmland. The residential community includes 506 lots, 448 of which have single-family houses, townhouses, or condominiums built on them, according to the Polk County Assessor. The assessed valuation of the lots, including those that are vacant, is $279.7 million. The golf course, which was designed by award-winning golf architect Tom Fazio, opened in July 1994. The clubhouse, located at 1401 Glen Oaks Drive, was constructed in 1993. The country club and golf course property were valued at just over $5 million in 2021, according to the assessor. Only the golf course, country club, and surrounding property are included in the recent sale. Members, through a rotating board of part-time volunteers, managed the clubhouse and golf course during Glen Oak's early years. The group could not agree on the funding model needed for capital improvements or a consistent vision for the club, according to a news release about the recent sale. Glen Oaks partnered with a golf management company, but the arrangement failed to work out. Glen Oaks terminated its agreement with the company and repurchased the club. During the Great Recession, the member-owned club lost members and defaulted on its bank loan. With other local investors, Oman purchased Glen Oaks Country Club and Golf Course in October 2010 from West Bank, which had acquired the property at a sheriff's sale after the club and homeowners association defaulted on a loan. The investment group included Mark and Jill Oman, Ron and Ruth Pearson, and Robert and Deb Pulver, all of whom lived in Glen Oaks. Mark Ullman is a retired Wells Fargo executive and former chair of the Greater Des Moines Partnership. Ron Pearson is the former chairman, CEO, and president of High V Inc. And Robert Pulver was the founder of Allstate Industries, of which he was CEO for 45 years. Pulver died last August. When the local investment group bought Glen Oaks, the club had 475 members, according to information released in 2010 about the group's $4.6 million acquisition. When we bought the club 11 years ago, there were concerns about the impact the club and golf course would have on the surrounding residential community, Oman said. The ownership group modernized the clubhouse and its dining rooms. Space was created to better accommodate events, such as weddings and parties. In addition, a new swimming pool complex was added and the golf course was refreshed, including adding new cart paths. The owners did not assess members for the renovations, nor did they take money out of the club to pay for the improvements, according to the news release. Membership at Glen Oaks is currently at record levels, and there is a wait list of people who want to join the club according to an email the club's prior owners sent to members in late November. 2021 will be a record year for club events and revenue. The Glen Oaks community is a vibrant and sought-after neighborhood, and Glen Oaks Country Club is recognized as a top workplace in the Des Moines area, the, reader, the owners wrote in an email. Concert Golf Partners approached the Glen Oaks Partners more than two years ago about selling the West Des Moines property. 
The group declined, saying they didn't think the timing to sell was right, Oman said. In late 2020, when Concert Golf Partners again asked about buying the property, the Glen Oaks Partnership decided to explore the option. For a variety of reasons, we thought the timing was right, Oman said. We had accomplished the goals that we set out to accomplish, and quite frankly, none of us were getting any younger, he said. Oman said the partnership group thoroughly researched concert golf partners before agreeing to sell the club. They value the uniqueness of each club, and they want to preserve and build on that, he said. They don't have a one-size-fits-all kind of franchise concept. Concert Golf Partners describes itself as, quote, a boutique owner-operator of top private golf and country clubs, end quote. The company owns and operates 23 clubs in 12 states. The Glen Oaks purchase is the group's first Iowa property. Nanula said each of the country clubs owned by Concert Golf Partners is unique. Some were founded in the early 1900s. Others, like Glen Oaks, are newer, he said. The one thing that is the same is that the members care deeply about the culture and identity of their club, he said. Our big goal is to try to preserve that identity and that culture. Glen Oaks has a great, great culture. According to its website, Concert Golf Partners has $250 million in long-term equity capital to invest and upgrade its properties. Nanula said Concert Golf Partners will make some capital improvements to the property, including completing the project to add new golf cart paths along the course. Some improvements are also planned at the driving range, and an indoor golf simulator will be added. Some minor upgrades are also planned for the clubhouse, he said. We'll be infusing some capital into a club that's been very well taken care of by the prior owners and is in really good shape, Nanula said. Our test at Glen Oaks is preserving and enhancing a little bit. Our next story, UI Office of Strategic Partnerships Outreach Strategy Takes Shape. Tippy College Initiative Coordinates Access to Expert Resources by Joe Gardiaz. Businesses and nonprofit organizations of all sizes across Iowa that may not have considered partnering with the University of Iowa's Tippy College of Business as a consulting or analytical resource might want to take another look. In mid-2021, the Tippy College launched a new Office of Strategic Partnerships and hired a seasoned executive and business consultant, Dave Ernst, to lead the initiative. Its objective is to coordinate current pockets of engagement across the business college, with the goal of both deepening current relationships and creating new engagements with employers statewide. It's a win-win situation because our partners gain solutions and the college gains greater visibility, Tippy's Dean Amy Christoph Brown said when the initiative was announced in July. Ernst has held a number of business development positions with several education-related companies. He was most recently Senior Vice President of State Services and Business Development for Cognia, a Georgia-based developer of assessment tests. He also worked in numerous 
numerous capacities for Pearson in Iowa City, including regional vice president and vice president slash director of the company's research and innovation network, and at Rockwell Collins in Cedar Rapids. The Office of Strategic Partnerships provides a single point of entry and connection to TIPI's collegiate resources for businesses. Among them, the TIPI Analytics Cooperative, the college's industry-facing arm for all things analytics. The cooperative builds partnerships throughout the region that result in hands-on projects for TIPI students and data-based business decisions for its clients. The Marketing Institute, which partners with outside business clients on marketing challenges. The TIPI Leadership Collaborative, a resource hub for companies and nonprofits looking for management expertise through expert speakers, custom executive education, and research partnerships. And the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center, a resource for economic development within the region with its focus on small businesses and startups. Building corporate partnerships will increase the number of student projects, live case studies, and consulting opportunities that students and faculty will have using real-world real world data, Christoph Brown said. Strong engagement with students will help organizations solve business problems and expose them to a high-quality workforce. If done well, Partnerships could also lead to increased corporate-generated philanthropic support for the college's mission. We're striving to be a catalyst for transformation through thought leadership, educating innovative problem solvers, and productive partnerships, Christoph Brown said. This is a bold step toward that vision. The Business Record recently interviewed Ernst, along with Mackenzie DeRue, Associate Director of the Office of Strategic Partnerships, and Stephen Courtright, Director of Executive Education with the TIPI Leadership Collaborative, for an overview of the initiative's strategy. Here are some excerpts from that conversation. So the overall mission sounds deceptively simple. Connect businesses and other organizations to resources in the college to help them grow, yet extremely challenging to carry out on a statewide basis. How do you get your arms around this? Ernst, I think the first couple of months, you focus internally, and then you set your eyes externally. And with that, what we've seen is a growing level of engagement of companies and organizations coming to us that otherwise didn't really have a way to access some of the talents of the university. So we're really seeing us being approached in our two-person office as being indicative of the level of activity here in the state of Iowa and elsewhere. An important aspect of the office will be establishing relationships with different regional markets within the state. So we're beginning to think about the Des Moines market, the Quad Cities, and the Cedar Rapids corridor as having unique needs. Daru. Another piece of our strategy for engaging the business community is to talk with economic development agencies. I just had a quarterly meeting with several people from the university who regularly do that kind of corporate engagement. And the point that came up again was workforce. Whether that's hiring new talent, retaining current employees, or figuring out whether a virtual or hybrid type of landscape is an opportunity or a threat for a state like Iowa. 
In my previous role, I did employer engagement and placement for two specific master's programs, so it was very hiring focused. But we also knew that we had this great work that Stephen Courtright is doing with the Tippy Leadership Collabor Collaborative to help companies retain their current employees, to help them upskill, particularly in leadership, so they can be better managers to retain and hire great teams. So when I got to move to this office, it became a way I could package all these opportunities together. Courtright. Another way to think about Dave and Mackenzie's role, which has just been a tremendous asset to the college so far, is like a spoke and hub model. So the Tippy Leadership Collaborative might have strong relationships with some companies, but needs a kind of central office to help connect places internally with one another to really have a full service solution for these companies. I think the Office of Strategic Partnerships just positions us better, positions us to better serve the needs of Iowa businesses. The Tippy Leadership Collaborative, or TLC, launched just a little over a year ago and provides customized services for organizations, including MBA programs, as well as research, consulting, and conferences for companies on various topics. Ernst. For instance, we talked to one company that got excited about the Tippy Leadership Collaborative's education offices, offerings. They had some workforce managers that needed additional training and upskilling. So they're looking at the unique partnership that the college has to do that. Whereas we talked with another company where one of our alumni came back and said, we'd really like to support the university. We have some internship opportunities. Another day, we got a request from a company in Des Moines that said, we have a need for these kinds of students for an internship. What do you have? So every day, it's a different part of this hub and spoke that Stephen spoke about. And we try to direct traffic and follow up on those requests. Court right. Looking to the future, one of the TLC's biggest priorities that we're working on now is to set up a nonprofit fund that's essentially donor funded. So say the city of West Liberty's library comes to us and says, we really need to formalize some of our HR processes. Well, we can say, we have a fund that can help pay for faculty time to help them with that. That's a big priority of ours right now to even better serve those organizations that don't have the resources to offer that kind of service. What can the Office of Strategic Partnerships do to support rural businesses? Ernst, when I met with the CEO panel of small to medium-sized businesses, some of them startups, some family-owned businesses, their question was, how will the university support us versus maybe a larger corporation like Collins or Principal? So it allowed us to go back and do some thinking about that. We have JPEC, which is an acronym for the John Papa John Entrepreneurial Center, and they support small to medium-sized sort of growth, early venture kinds of businesses, and they support internships for students and pay half of the fee for that company for that student to do an internship. So we do use the JPEC, which is part of the Tippy College of Business, to support local businesses. 
in another program that's principally through Tippy's executive education program. We partnered with a local chamber to offer the program services through the chamber. So it provides access for anybody versus a direct to company model. We're using the Iowa City Area Business Partnership to do that. So we are definitely looking at how we reach those kinds of businesses. Courtright. With the Iowa City Area Business Partnership, we've got a session going on about hiring and retaining talent, engaging employees, and preventing burnout during COVID. We have a session on diversity and inclusion. These are topics that CEOs in the business partnership want to hear about, and they feel like Tippy has the expertise on those topics. For us personally, we have a real vested interest in contributing to the rural areas, coming from very rural backgrounds. My dad managed small cheese plants in Wisconsin. Allison Yoder, events and administrative coordinator, grew up on a soybean and corn farm. I know I mentioned helping the big corporations, but we're really looking for a diversified portfolio. Are there any new initiatives under development in addition to the existing programs that will be under the Office of Strategic Partnerships umbrella? Ernst, absolutely. There are several things that we are looking at. In the area of risk management and insurance, we're evaluating what it would mean to offer a degree program in insurance. And we have some growing opportunities in marketing. Our marketing major continues to grow, as well as our analytics program. So we're looking at an inside sales lab, setting those up for students to work with companies to provide some inside sales support and resources. That's another one that's sort of in the gestational period. We continue to grow and support our capstone projects with students and companies and formalize those opportunities. That's an established opportunity, but one we're really trying to put some real growth around and expand that to other undergraduate programs. Finally, one of the things we're thinking about is an internship coordinator. There are a lot of opportunities for students and companies to have internships, to try students out before they buy, if you will. We have our Pomerantz Career Center that does all that, but we want to personalize it to where we can really reach students to pull them into these internships and get them on their way. From the Business Records Leadership column, by Susanna DeBaca, President and Group Publisher, BPC. How do you use your influence? Think back on your career. Did you ever work for a leader who wielded power but failed to gain your loyalty or engagement? By contrast, can you recall a leader who used their position to influence in a positive way? I've worked for both types of people, and there is no question that the latter approach is the one I have admired and tried to emulate. As a leader, you have the opportunity to use your position of authority to influence your organization, teams, individuals, and your larger community. You also have the choice of how you use that authority. Some leaders opt to harness the power of their position to force others to do something or to serve their own agenda, while others facilitate change or progress in a more inclusive manner or to benefit others. A recent Forbes article titled, 
defining power in 2021. Has influence become bigger than wealth? Suggests that the definition of power has actually changed in recent times, and leaders need to rethink how they use their authority. That article and the concept of influence were on my mind recently when the business record unveiled our annual Book of Lists, in which we invited our readers to vote on who they think are the most influential business leaders and the most influential nonprofit boards in our area. Given these individuals' status among their peers, the opportunity for some input presented itself. I asked some of those named to the top 25 business leaders in Business Records' book of lists the following question. What does being an influencer mean to you? Jay Byers, president and CEO of the Greater Des Moines Partnership, said, I am a big believer in the power of positive, proactive leadership that can take a bold, visionary idea build a diverse coalition of private, public, and nonprofit partners, and collectively make big things happen together. Renee Hardman, CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Iowa. Being an influencer is about inspiring others through a clear vision and leading with both your head and heart. As the saying goes, people truly do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. The art of influencing others, regardless of what position you have or what financial resources you have, is about ensuring the folks you work with trust and respect the person you are and being abundantly grateful for the contributions of others. Daniel J. Houston, Chairman, President, and CEO, Principal Financial Group. A person with influence has a responsibility to represent themselves and their company and or community with the highest integrity. They must be respectful of others and be a good listener, first seeking to understand and then to be understood. They should be engaged, constructive, and leave their ego at the door. Isa J.B. Knox, Executive Director of Urban Dreams. First of all, I do not consider myself an influencer. However, I can answer the question in general terms. Being an influencer means that a person is willing to discuss their platform when necessary, but not always. It also means that you live and act in a beneficial way to others. Additionally, it is being in the present, respectful, but not fixated on the past while planning for a prosperous future. Suku Radia, retired CEO of Bankers Trust. To influence is to inspire others in their actions. The fundamental requirement for any good influencer is the possession of integrity and great communication skills. The expectation of experience is a given. Having good listening skills is another prerequisite, as well as having humility. I believe that with all those attributes, one can be an effective influencer. The Forbes article concludes by saying, the time to change the impact you have on the world is today. As you consider your leadership style and the year ahead, think about how you can use your influence to make a positive impact on the world and others. 
And that does it for today's reading of the business record for January 21st, 2022. I'm your reader, Susan Hack. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thanks for listening. Exploring Science and the Sea To keep tabs on the health of whales, marine biologists sometimes catch the snot from the whale's blowholes, a mixture of water, mucus, and other substances. And in recent years, they've found a new way to catch it, with drones. The small, remote-controlled vehicles fly above a whale and wait for it to clear its lungs. A plate or dish then catches some of the material expelled through the blowhole. Biologists check the blow for the whale's DNA hormones, algae, bacteria, and other substances. That's one of several ways in which drones are contributing to marine research. They can collect samples or snap pictures for a fraction of the cost of more conventional techniques and allow researchers to keep an eye on marine critters without spooking them. One project uses drones to study waves and their interaction with the atmosphere, while another uses them to count gray seals on the coasts of New England and Canada. And yet another project used drones to study olive ridley sea turtles in Costa Rica. Researchers wanted to study the nesting behavior of these rare creatures. The drones revealed that the turtles congregated in groups that were a good bit larger than expected. Drones still aren't perfect tools. Small ones have limited range and payloads, while big ones can be expensive. And there are restrictions on how and where they can be flown. Even so, they can give scientists a bird's-eye view of the oceans and coasts and help them with such icky tasks as catching whale snot. Science in the Sea, a production of the University of Texas Marine Science Institute, is on the web at scienceinthesea.org. I'm Holly Brawley.